Every year I regard this service as a quiet time. We sing carols and praise God together, but we've had our larger gathering with lessons and carols and the candles, and I think it's a good thing that we gather on Christmas Eve and that our children once again hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and that we take these truths into our homes. Now, ordinarily, I focus on the very familiar on Christmas Eve, but I'm not focusing on the familiar this evening. So please turn with me in your copy of God's Word to the book of Genesis, chapter 49. Genesis, chapter 49. They'll ask that you stand. Our Father, bless this reading of thy word and its exposition, for we are completely dependent on the Holy Spirit for his work. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 49, verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Now, I want to read it also from the authorized version. If you have a New American Standard, it will be almost this very, this very translation. Some other translations translate it this way also. So again, hear the word of the Lord from the authorized translation of this text. Genesis 49, verse 10. The shepherd, the scepter, shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. People of God, Jesus coming into the world was the fulfillment of many Old Testament prophecies. The Lord gradually and progressively revealed that the Savior of sinners would come and redeem us. And starting with Genesis 3.15, soon after the fall of mankind in Adam, the prophecies began. Genesis 3.15, the Messiah will be a man, the seed of the woman. Genesis 9:27 God will dwell in the tents of Shem. Genesis 12 through 17 that the Messiah will come through Abraham's line. Genesis 17 verse 9 the Messiah will come through Isaac. Genesis 26:3 and 4 the Messiah will come through Jacob. And now in chapter 49 verse 10 the Messiah will come through the tribe of Judah. And had we time to trace it out, we could move all the way to 1 Samuel chapter 7, in which we see the narrowing process working even more, not only through the tribe of Judah, but the Messiah will come of David's line. Now, as we come to this text this morning, this very unusual text, we find here, first of all, Jacob giving birthright and blessing 
to all of his sons. And Jacob is blessing his children from his deathbed. The birthright and blessing usually are given to the same individual. But here things are different because God has his purpose and he has his plan that he is working out. And so he must give birthright, that is to say, he must declare inheritance. And Joseph receives the double portion because of the blessing placed upon Ephraim and Manasseh. But then he must give blessing. Who will now lead? Who will take the scepter of Jacob and rule over the tribe? Not Reuben, the firstborn. Not Simeon. Not Levi. But because of grace, sheer sovereign grace, the blessing is given to Judah. Now, I will not recount it, but if you know anything about Judah in the book of Genesis, you know that it is altogether of grace that the blessing comes to him. No one could accuse him of having earned or deserved this blessing that the Messiah would come through his line that he would be the one to hold the scepter. And notice how it's put in your text. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes. Now kings hold scepters. And the idea comes from shepherding because kings were intended to be shepherds of their people. And also there's the mention of the lawgiver, which probably means Levi and the connection between Judah and Levi, the tribe of Levi, through the years to come. In 49.10, his blessing is prophetic of the Messiah. As a matter of fact, in the very first verse of chapter 49, let me read it in the authorized. And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. And so he is pointing ahead. God is at work unfolding his promise of the coming of the Redeemer through Jacob's blessing. And Judah is here designated as the tribe of rule until the one came to whom that rule, that kingship ultimately will belong. And God unfolds this truth again, as I mentioned in 1 Samuel chapter 7. After a thousand years, David is the first king of the tribe of Judah, who is the one through whom the Messiah will come. Now let's think about the prophecy for a few moments. Just the prophecy there in verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. And so you picture a king, and he has his scepter, and you have someone bowing before his feet. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. The scepter representing kingship, he will rule. Judah will be the ruling tribe through which the Messiah will come until... Notice that it says that. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until... Now that's very important. And something is going to happen. And when is it going to happen? When the Hebrew letters just transliterated in the authorized version spell Shiloh. When Shiloh comes... This is going to happen. 
And so at a point in history determined by the Lord, a ruler will come through the tribe of Judah. And that is why Jesus in Revelation 5, 5 is called the Lion of the House of Judah. And you can read in verse 9 of this very chapter and several others what this might mean in more detail. So the way in which the Hebrew reads transliterated is until Shiloh comes. Now what does that mean? That's the third thing. What does Shiloh mean? Well, many attempts have been made to understand the meaning of this little Hebrew word Shiloh that we pronounce Shiloh. And without spending time on all of them, which would actually be very profitable, but not for Christmas Eve, let me just tell you what I think, and I'm not alone. Many Old Testament scholars have concluded that Shiloh, which is translated in your ESV until tribute comes to him, should best be translated to whom it belongs. To whom it belongs. Michael Barrett puts it simply, the term Shiloh. There is a shin, that S-H sound, which is a shortened form of the relative pronoun. The lamed, the L, is the preposition to or unto. And the, the holem at the end, this O sound, is the personal pronoun meaning him. And hence, if you take the letters, what they mean is simply, which is to him, or to whom it belongs. In other words, he's the rightful king, the one to whom it belongs. What will belong to the one to come? What will belong to the one prophesied through Jacob's blessing in Genesis 49.10? The kingship will belong to him. The scepter will belong to him. And there are other references to this in the Old Testament. Balaam in Numbers 24, a passage that I preached two years ago and hope to preach again on some occasion. Balaam in Numbers 24 prophesied, despite himself, if you will recall, he prophesied, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and the scepter shall rise out of Israel and Edom shall be a possession, out of Jacob shall he come who shall have dominion. And so the idea of the scepter, the idea of reigning, the idea of having dominion are found in this Numbers 24 prophecy as well. But even more plain, even more clear, is what we read in Ezekiel 21, verses 26 and 27. It clearly picks up the theme of Genesis 49, verse 10. Here the Lord announces that he will judge Judah, that he will remove the turban and take away the crown. So there will be the end of the kingship, you see. And then in verse 27, he says, and this is your ESV, a ruin, a ruin, a ruin, I will make it. This also shall not be until he comes, the one to whom judgment belongs, and I will give it to him. Or listen carefully to the authorized translation of that from Ezekiel. I will overturn, overturn, overturn it, and it shall be no more until he comes whose right it is, 
and I will give it to him. Showing a clear connection between Genesis 49.10, the one whose right it is, Shiloh. So Shiloh theology is reflected in Ezekiel. After all of these many years, the prophecy of Genesis 49.10 was first spoken. Michael Barrett says, history certainly bears witness to the truth of Ezekiel's prophecy. The Babylonian judgment removed Israel's king and the throne was vacant until Christ came, the rightful king who will reign forever. There is only one who has the right to rule. There is only one who has the right to reign. There is only one who can legitimately sway the scepter. There is only one who can have dominion over all the nations to whom lordship belongs, and that is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, prophesied of in Jacob's blessing in Genesis 49.10. He sways the scepter that shall not depart from Judah. So the import of the ancient prophecy in Genesis 49.10 is simply but profoundly this. Judah will not cease to govern as a tribe until Shiloh comes. And Shiloh means the one to whom it belongs. What belongs to him is the messianic kingdom of God. You know, if you've given very little attention to prophecy through the Bible, not only of the Messiah's coming, but especially of the Messiah's coming, it would do you a world of good to focus there. It is indeed one of the great evidences of the inspiration and authority of the Bible, which, of course, you will only know and believe and submit to when your heart is subdued by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So next, let's look at the glory of the coming King. We need to deal with two things. We have the scepter and the gathering or obedience of the peoples. The scepter points to power, to authority, to kingly glory. The scepter is wielded by a king. It represents his rule and his reign over men and things and over our hearts. To him shall be the obedience of the peoples, the text tells us. The one who wields the scepter, not only of Judah, but over all the nations, over all people, is prophesied here. How will he do that? How will he who came through Judah's line, through David's line, born a baby in Bethlehem of Judea, how will he rule and reign? How will he sway the scepter? First of all, he will sway the scepter as a rod of iron. And this is the primary point of the second psalm. The one to whom the messianic kingdom belongs will crush all enemies of God and his son will inherit the nations. As we read in Philippians 2, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But also, secondly, wonderfully, he rules, he reigns, he sways the scepter 
this King of kings and Lord of lords, born in Bethlehem as a baby. He does this by grace. Every sinner for whom this little child grew up and obeyed the law, every sinner for whom this little child who grew up and went to a cross and shed his blood, every sinner for whom he died will be saved. And the scepter he sways is that of grace in the hand of a shepherd king. Augustus Toplady, of of whose hymns we sing often, said this, the dignity of his divine person, the infinite value of his obedience and sacrifice, together with the justice of his almighty Father, to whom the inestimable price was paid, render it impossible that any single soul should perish for whom such a Redeemer died. It is neither at the option nor in the power of thy corrupt free will to render his mediation effectual or ineffectual. All is firmly fixed by the unalterable will, the immovable decree, and the everlasting covenant of the uncreated three. Christ did not come into the world at haphazard, nor live and die for a maybe. He was born and shed his blood for a peculiar people, whom his own sanctifying grace was to make zealous of good works, and that he might gather together into one glorified company all the children of God scattered abroad. As surely as Christ was born for them at Bethlehem, so surely shall he be formed in them their hope of glory by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Ghost." All will be brought to submission. Every every lost sinner for whom he died will be brought to submission through regenerating grace. Why? Because the one to whom it belongs sways the scepter, rules and reigns in our hearts. All will be brought to submission. Indeed, all beings will bow beneath his scepter, demonic and human, because he is the one whose right it is to rule and reign as Lord. Now you say, Pastor, this is a very unusual text for Christmas Eve. Yes, it is one of the most obscure and ancient prophecies of the coming of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, but it also is pivotal an essential strand in the tapestry of redemptive history. And you see these things and you begin to apply them to yourselves, especially when you remember that in verse 1 of chapter 49, he tells us that these are things that will happen in the last days. All of those centuries, God's people were pointed ahead to the coming of the Messiah. Do you think that sometimes they felt like giving up? Indeed, they did, and some of them did give up. But God always has his people. His people who live upon hope, upon the certain hope and the certain expectation in ancient Israel of the one who would come, who would fulfill all of the prophecies, who would fulfill all that was meant in the, in the service of the tabernacle and of the temple. God always has his expectant people whose hearts are ruled and reigned and granted that expectancy by the one to whom is given that right. God promised and it happened 
just as God said it would. And one of the things that we most should remember at Christmas, surely, is what is highlighted here, that God gives His word of promise, His reliable word. And in His providence, the Lord fulfills, completely fulfills, fulfills to the detail His purpose and His plan. So that when we pass like Jacob passed, God's purpose goes on, and His promise will never fail. And has He promised to love you with an everlasting love? That promise will not fail. Has He promised that He will bring you into your heavenly home? That promise will not fail. Has He promised never to leave nor to forsake you? That promise will not fail. Has He promised that He will establish with you a covenant ordered in all things and sure than your covenant God He is and ever will be. So how does Christ rule us? Through His scepter, through His law, through His Word. Christ is Lord who rules us through His Word, and this is how He keeps His people, through Word and sacrament and the Holy Spirit who takes these things and grants us persevering grace. Therefore, will you on this Christmas Eve within your heart Renew within the depths of your soul acknowledgement of His scepter ruling and reigning in your life, child of God? Will you acknowledge His scepter in times of temptation? Will you acknowledge His scepter in times of stress? Will you acknowledge His scepter in times of distress? Will you acknowledge His scepter in times of distraction? Will you acknowledge His scepter in times of loss and in times of grief? Will you acknowledge His scepter in times of pain and sorrow as well as in times of great joy? Will you acknowledge His scepter in times of confusion? Will you acknowledge His scepter? Because He is one the only one whose right it is, we read in 49.10 of Genesis, to rule and to reign and sway the scepter. Because His shepherding and rule for you is good. Because He was born in Bethlehem of Judea because He loves you and was willing to die on a cross for you and be raised from the dead and ascend to heaven and sway the scepter that only He could sway. Whose right it is. The baby born in Bethlehem was God in the flesh. Only He could pay. Only He had the right to pay. Only He could have paid the penalty of our sins. Only He who has the right to hold the scepter. He has the right by promise. He has the right also by purchase. So what is my calling as a believer? Your calling as a believer? It is to bow in reverence and awe. Have you acknowledged His scepter? Is there someone here on this Christmas Eve who has never acknowledged the one whose right it is to rule in your heart and in your life. 
Have you acknowledged his right to wield the scepter? Have you laid down the weapons of your warfare at his feet? The one whose right it is to rule. So that this picture that we have, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. All of us are in that picture. The believer is in that picture, looking up at his Lord, sitting between his feet, the scepter over him, saying, Lord, I'm so glad that you rule and reign in my life. It is you who only have that right. The Bible tells me that. I know it now within my heart. Oh, how thankful I am that you rule and reign in my life. But those also who reject him, who do not know him, who have no desire to know him, they also will be found at his feet. And the scepter will rule and reign over them as well. And the power of Almighty God in judgment will be known whose right it is. To him shall be the obedience of all the peoples. It's right there in your ESV. Yes, those who have believed and those who have rejected him all shall bow. You know, the coming of the Magi only is an indicator of the nations coming to Christ that will bow before Christ the King who sways the scepter. You know, we see also such wrong in the world, don't we? Does your heart not grieve as my heart grieves? over the self-destruction, moral self-destruction that we see in the nation that we so love. And yet, he holds the scepter to judge or to bless. And we sing, this is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This one that was born a baby and wrapped in swaddle was the King of kings and the Lord of lords, ruler of all nations. And let's for a moment return to that theme of expectancy. Can you imagine the expectancy of the children of God in ancient Israel, the faithful who really believed, as the prophets brought time and again the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And they began to add up. And they would say, oh, I remember this and this and this and this. And now another promise of God of the coming of the Messiah. And they lived in expectant hope. He came. He who, have, who has the right to reign has come. And we who have believed in the one who came also live in the expectancy of another return, do we not? Let nothing dampen that expectancy. Children, as you hear your parents talk about the incarnation of our Lord, and as tonight you go home, and perhaps the the Luke narrative is read tonight or tomorrow by your father or mother, by your parents or by your grandparents, Children, do you have an expectancy that is greater than your expectancy for Christmas Day? So that in a mature way, we begin together to have an expectancy that is greater than our Christmas celebrations ever could be, as great as they are, when Christ, 
the Christ of Christmas returns to us from heaven in great power and absolute authority with the scepter in his hand. Shiloh, the one whose right it is. So I ask on this Christmas Eve, do you long to commune with this God? Do you long for his presence? Do you know him? Have you trusted in him as your redeemer? Is your life now now desirous of, of this second coming that is promised in God's word that will be fulfilled just as was the first promise of his coming? Children, there was a man whose name was Adolf Saffer, who was a Jew who lived in Budapest many, many years ago. And he was lost and undone. And he knew nothing of Jesus Christ. He knew nothing of what you know. He knew nothing about the incarnation of our Lord. He knew nothing about the baby born in Bethlehem. He knew nothing about Christmas morning and that baby that was come down to us. And this is what he said. Mr. Saffer said, one day I was looking at some books and the title of one arrested my eye. It was Die Menschen Verdum Gottes, God Becoming Man. God Becoming Man. The thought went through my mind like a flash of lightning. It thrilled my soul with most joyous solemnity. Oh, I said, this would be the most beautiful thing if God were to become man and visit us. Not many years after I heard about Jesus and I read the Gospels, I felt there the same presence, the same loving, condescending, redeeming, and sanctifying God that appeared unto the fathers when he read the Old Testament. I felt that here was Jehovah, that all darkness had disappeared, and that the grand but inconceivable glory here shone upon us in the perfect, peaceful, and holy countenance of the man, Christ Jesus. And he was right. It would be the most beautiful thing if God were to come and visit us. And he has. And he did. And he will. The first time, he came in utter humiliation. Wrapped in swaddle. Laid in a manger. Grew up in poverty. Crown of thorns pressed into his brow. Shedding his blood on a cross. Yes, the first time he came in utter humiliation. The second time he will come in exalted glory. The one to whom it belongs. The kingdom, the rule, the reign, the scepter. Are you ready to meet him on that day? And can you say from your heart, come quickly, Lord Jesus.